And so you're looking at a policy that has uh, over 70% support among both parties that Nancy Pelosi refuses to bring up to a vote. We're not saying, you know, the, the force of the vote was never about Democrats must pass Medicare for all or Nancy Pelosi doesn't get the speaker position. It was just, can you bring the thing up to a vote? Can you pledge to bring this thing up to a vote that everyone wants? And the purpose behind that is, you know, it's not necessarily that it's going to pass, but we're in a, in a pandemic where healthcare is a front and central issue. And it's clear to most people we need Medicare for all. So I want to see who is going to go on record as saying, I'm not going to support Medicare for all. You know, Medicare for all covers way more people, uh, no copays, no deductibles, as dental insurance, mental health insurance. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. If this is your first time listening or watching, welcome. If you're returning, if you're returning, welcome back. So yeah, uh, if you're enjoying what you're seeing, uh, you like the content that I'm putting out, do me a favor. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button in the corner and thumbs the video up. If you're on Facebook, share and like. If you're on the podcast platforms, which will be, this will be airing probably in a couple of days uh, when I publish. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. It definitely helps me to be more noticeable on the podcast platforms themselves, like the notable or new and noteworthy section of my genre. That would really help. Uh, if you like the the uh, streaming app that I'm using, StreamYard, there is a uh, a link in the description, which will give you a savings of $10 when you sign up for the uh the the paid package you'll get a ten dollar credit and i'll get a credit as well on the back end of that the link's right there uh all the links for my guest and myself and anything that i flash up uh during the broadcast will be available in the show notes or in the description so tonight my guest is patrick coat or also known as pat the burner on uh, Twitter. And, uh, I ran across Pat and, uh, I was, I was looking at something and I was watching something flashed up on YouTube and it was the, uh, uh, status coup, which is a show. And he was talking and I was like, Whoa, this dude's got a lot of good stuff to say. And his thoughts are well put together. And I really enjoyed listening to what he was talking about. So I decided to get him on the show and talk to him myself. So let me bring Pat up in here. What's up, buddy? Hey, Sean. How you doing? 
I'm good. How are you? Uh, no complaints over here. People right. have it much worse, so I can't complain. Yeah, isn't that the truth, brother? Uh, lots of lots of craziness going on these days. Still, year after what we thought would have, you know, at least some normalcy would have come to light. But you know, that's a, another story for another day. We're here to talk about progressive policy and the progressive movement. Um, for first of all, uh, go ahead and introduce, like, give a little background story on who you are, but then answer the question for the folks out there who may not know or may not understand, like, what is a progressive? I mean, what is that? Is it an ideology? Is it a, a sect right. within the, within the Democratic party? Like, what does that mean? It's a cult that will never win if you <laughs> listen to Democrats. <laughs> But uh, although they all want to be progressive now, if you ask them, they're all progressive because progressive policy is so popular. But uh, we'll get into that, I guess. But uh, who I am, I, uh, I I just was a schmo who took the Twitter back in uh, 2015 to support Bernie Sanders and uh, was in grad school then. I'm still in grad school because I'm, I'm dragging it out so I don't have to start repaying those student loans. <laughs> but uh so I took to Twitter uh, just to support him and, and promote um, his campaign and what he was representing. And um, in the process, I, I decided to start a parody account as well. So that was, uh, uh, it was a parody account called Peter Douche that was mocking Peter Dow, who was a paid propagandist basically for centrist Democrats uh, uh, under Hillary's campaign, John Podesta, um, and David Brock, uh, well, David Brock himself, he, they started the Hillary men, which was one of the two was, was this guy, Peter Dow. And their job was to say that anytime there was dissent against Hillary Clinton or anti-Hillary uh, positions out there on the internet, Twitter, or Facebook, anywhere, mostly Twitter, um, they would counter that with narratives that that some in summary were, well, you're not really against Hillary Clinton or those policies. You know, it's not about the policies that you represent. You don't support Hillary because you're a Bernie bro. You're a sexist, uh, misogynist person. Your, your dislike of Hillary is based on racism even sometimes, which is strange because they're both white, Bernie and her were both white. But the point was they were created. They, uh, they were, uh, paid to spin this narrative and, and convince people that a lot of the opposition to Hillary Clinton's campaign was based in misogyny and, and racism. Um, and so he was just the, the worst, you know, there are 20, 30 people that were prominent people online pushing these narratives. So I decided he was probably the worst sycophant out there. So I picked him to parody and, and created an account parody account called uh, Peter Douche instead of Peter Dow uh, was then later kicked off of Twitter for that account, even though I, I didn't violate their rules, but uh, they have specific rules for parody accounts, which I followed to a T, but I had such a big following that I think he made a call to Twitter land and I was gone. Uh, from that, I, uh, Jimmy Dore was a, a, a regular follower and he would share my stuff at some of his shows even. And he invited me on the show and on his show, I said, you know, to hell with it. They're not going to silence me. I'm going to write a book. So I wrote a book, a parody book called An Inconvenient Douche. Um, and then, uh, you know, after that, I decided Peter Dow eventually became, he saw the light and he's now as hard a, 
hardcore left to progressive as you can find. The question is, wow. is it the paychecks stop, stop coming in or did he truly see the light? It doesn't, from my perspective, it doesn't really matter, but now he's on our team. Um, so I decided in fairness, I should give that account up and I, I changed it over and, and created the, uh, the parody account of Nate's liver, Nate Silver, uh, called Nate's liver and, um, co-wrote my next book, the Yas Queen Chronicles with another parody account. Um, basically the books, both books point out a lot of the hypocrisy and the, the relationships between the media and the democratic party and, um, a lot of the, the collusion going on that, that leads people to believe in a candidate that's not really representing their interests. So that's how we got here. So who's a progressive? It depends on who you ask, but uh, to most people on the left, a progressive is somebody, a progressive candidate is somebody who refuses corporate money. That is the, the ultimate litmus test that you must refuse corporate money. Beyond that, there's general consensus on the left that, we need policies like Medicare for all. So Medicare for all is, is to me, the other piece to the two litmus tests. You, you can't take corporate money and you must support Medicare for all in my world. Now, now is that just base that, that that's your, your base bottom level foundation. If you don't have that, then you don't support progressive values. You can't consider yourself a progressive to me. If you're taking corporate money, I mean, corporate money is the, the root of all evil in, in politics, really. I mean, so if you're funded by the people, if all your donations come from regular people, common sense says you're not going to uh, necessarily have any incentive to pass something that benefits PG&E over people or benefits Raytheon, a weapons maker, over people. Your your first interest is to get reelected by the people that elected you. Uh, so that's the first, the most important thing is is not accepting any of those corporate donations. Sounds sounds logical to me. <laughs> yeah it's not rocket science don't take bad money i mean that's that's the opening mantra so so we got uh you know so here's there's about i don't know the exact number but like what six uh what they call themselves the justice democrats which are uh rocana uh alexandria ocasio cortez um and there's some other Ilan ones Omar, right and it, the list goes on. So Justice Dems, Democrats was founded to, you know, to, to be endorsed by the Justice Democrats. You had to not take corporate money. Um, so the, the jury's still out on on how much those people are representing us right now. Um, there's sort of a split between between progressives on that. But, you know, ultimately, none of those people took corporate money. So, you know, we have to give them the, the, the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion, Um but that brings up the argument, does the party ultimately corrupt you because you're brought into this, you know, sort of elite world where your coworkers, I mean, imagine if you got hired by an office, forget that you're, they're a senator or a congresswoman. You know, if you got hired to a job where there were 200 people there that all thought a certain way and you're part of six people that don't, you know, just day-to-day operations, you know, you're more inclined to, to go along to get along go along, get along, you know, see your peer, you know, it, it doesn't mean that they're corrupted, but it's possible to have the wrong strategy after a while. When you're in that world, you start seeing things their way a little bit. You know, you, you're around consultants that are constantly arguing against things like Medicare for all on behalf of the party. Um, 
and I don't think they've necessarily lost their way or that they're not representing us. Um, but those are the pressures they're under. And us as outsiders, it's our job, no matter what anyone says, we're not here to be fans of them. You know, if I'm a diehard progressive, I'm not here to, to buy AOC t-shirts and put bumper stickers on my car and ultimately her popularity and other progressive popularity, you know, candidates, their popularity doesn't matter. I mean, we put them there to, to get things done. So, you know, whether we put too much pressure on them or we put the right amount of pressure, I'd rather err on the side of putting too much pressure on them than just trusting that they are going to keep fighting for us. No, that that's a good point. I mean, and that's like in any kind of elected elected position. I mean, at some point you need to be held accountable for what you were elected for. I mean, bottom line, right? You know, you tell me you're going to try to get, you know, Medicare for all, then that's what I'm expecting you to do. And, you know, a lot of what we've saw, they had power to do that uh, with hashtag force the vote. You know, that's a big one that, uh, uh, Jimmy Dore was pushing. And I, I, I love Jimmy Dore. I, I like the way that he just, you know, kind of no shit. Let's, you know, sticking it right to him. Uh, cause that's what you got to do. I mean, you know, you're this, you were, this isn't supposed to be an easy position. You know, it, it, you, you have to make hard choices and, and choose what you're going to sacrifice if you're going to be there, unless you're there for your own celebrity, right? Yeah, I mean, and you look at you look at a lot of those the squad members. I mean, they're like AOC specifically. She ran on literally bringing Medicare for all, forcing a vote on Medicare for all on the floor. So, for people who don't understand the force the vote thing, uh, maybe a little background story. So, force the vote was a campaign basically started by Jimmy Dore. Someone gave him the idea, I believe. But the idea was that they, the squad, and other people would withhold their vote for Nancy Pelosi to become Speaker of the House in exchange for bringing Medicare for All to a floor vote, which uh, she refuses to do. And so you're looking at a policy that has uh, over 70% support among both parties that Nancy Pelosi refuses to bring up to a vote. We're not saying, you know, the, the force of the vote was never about Democrats must pass Medicare for all or Nancy Pelosi doesn't get the speaker position. It was just, can you bring the thing up to a vote? Can you pledge to bring this thing up to a vote that everyone wants? And the purpose behind that is, you know, it's not necessarily that it's going to pass, but we're in a, in a pandemic where healthcare is a front and central issue and it's clear to most people we need Medicare for all. So I want to see who is going to go on record as saying, I'm not going to support Medicare for all, mm. you know, Medicare for all covers way more people, uh, no copays, no deductibles as dental insurance, mental health insurance, all kinds of things. And study after study shows that it saves us money versus our current system. So by forcing the vote on it, for the first time, you get to hear the opponents of it. What's their argument going to be? Because it's a weak argument that's easily debunked. And if they're put on record in public debating against Medicare for all, let's hear why. Let's have them pay a political price for it. So that's the whole point of, of force the vote. And then that's what they talk about being primaried once we know 
once we know what you stand for and what you don't, because they've been kind of working covertly since the first bailout. I mean, the first one was actually a, a voice vote, wasn't it? Like we, they didn't even the or the the first trillion the big bailout. The first one was kind of a, a voice vote, so no one really knew who who did what. You know, everybody could say, "Well, I didn't." <laughs> You know, even though if you listen to that, to the yay, nay in the hall, it didn't sound like there was a whole lot of nays. Yeah, right. I mean, if you look at, you know, the importance, there are levels of, of support. Like all these candidates say they support issues until the the vote comes up, you know. So uh, the recent battle for the, the uh, uh, COVID rep- recovery package, COVID relief bill, you know, the important part was to get, I mean, uh, there's a lot of good things in the bill, but our only chance really of getting $15 minimum wage passed right now was to be in that bill. And you end up having eight Democrats, uh, one was an independent, so seven out of eight, um, who all said they supported $15 minimum wage, or at least increasing the minimum wage. And you know, these people ran on it in many cases. Many of them ran on an actual $15 minimum wage. And so here you've got it included in a bill where it's increased to 15 over five years. You know, we're not talking about like hurting businesses right now in the middle of a pandemic. That's not really true because it's a gradual increase over five years. And so here these, you got eight votes against it. Um, and why it's really important, you know, when you hear Democrats now saying, well, it's just that it was included in this bill. That was our objection. Well, you have to look at the, the realities and the dynamics in, in the Senate right now. We have a one vote majority. We have a tie split by Kamala Harris. Um, why that matters is we currently have a process called the filibuster where if the other party, if the minority party wants to take up time, uh, they can basically filibuster and they don't even have to, it used to be you had to get up in front of a mic and, and kill time endlessly. So you'd, you'd get people reading things like, you know, the constitution from the first line. And then the next guy would read Dr. Zeus for seven hours. And and you would just do that eventually. And, and until they decide they're not going to even bring it up to a vote because the other party has filibustered long enough that you just are over it. They're not going to let you vote on this thing. Um, so anyway, the bottom story on this is that once a budget year, you're allowed this process called budget reconciliation. And that's how this COVID bill is being passed. Under the budget reconciliation rules, you only need 51 votes instead of 60 like you would need for every other bill that happens. And since the Democrats have 50 senators, you can only pass things in all practicality right now because the Republican Party is just being pure obstructionist. You can only pass things this entire year through this one budget reconciliation process. So by excluding minimum wage from this bill, you're excluding it for the year. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because it's not going to pass as a standalone bill. Mm-hmm. It has no chance to. Um, now, this this year is slightly different in that this current reconciliation bill is a leftover from last year's budget. So we do get another opportunity in October. Um, you know, but people saying, okay, the uh, the the COVID situation with people at home and out of work is so bad that you know we we should have another check and Democrats will get us another check in a few months. It's not going to happen. Like anyone waiting on another check, there's zero point zero percent chance of another check because you you can't pass it. You need 
60 votes to pass anything, which means you need to get nine Republican senators to support anything you do. So literally nothing else is going to pass all year. I mean, if they remove the filibuster, that changes things because your standard Demo- your standard Senate vote just needs the 51 votes if the filibuster process did not exist. Yeah, that's uh, th- this whole thing is just so it just it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you know, I'm one that you know you're, you're where my medicals tied to my my work, and when you're not working, well, lucky I was lucky this year, but I mean, when you're not working, especially in a construction in a union, y- you know, you only got so much in your bank and your reserve hours to cover, you know, what you're not working, and if you don't, then that's it. There's nothing, you know, if you, you can go on Cobra, but that's like what, $1,200 uh, a month. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Right. So that brings up Joe Biden's current healthcare plan that he's, he's looking to push, you know, he's, he's against Medicare for all. He's even said if Medicare for all came to his desk, he would veto it. Um, but Joe Biden's master plan for, for all these people that lost their health insurance, that's tied to their employment over COVID you you know could be one of them potentially is to subsidize the cobra plans so cobra is basically three or four times your current health insurance bill but the government is just going to pick up that bill under his plan so that sounds great and all but that's ridiculous government spending it's it's a it's handing all of our government dollars to insurance companies now why are they doing that because the the parties, both parties, are funded largely by these insurance companies. They are lo- they love that solution. It's just extracting wealth from the U.S. government, our money, um, to and handing it over to the insurance companies. It's not fixing the problem. You know, it's it's amplifying government waste to an epic level versus a solution that takes those profits away, which is what Medicare for All does. It takes away the middleman, which is the insurance companies, keeping you from, you know, the right coverage and then just adding on expenses. And, and, you know, it's just ridiculous. So when your solution, instead of of giving people more coverage for less money, is to have the government give the insurance companies a shit ton of money, you know, that stands out to people. And, And I think most people understand when you tell them Joe Biden's plan is to beef up COBRA. Everyone who knows what Cobra is know Cobra's, knows Cobra is awful. <laughs> it's the <laughs> wasteful, most expensive possible healthcare solution there is on earth. There's no reason anyone not corrupted by insurance companies and pharma companies would offer that as a solution. So you said something that was pretty uh, – something I say all the time as well is that you, you know, both sides – you know, both sides are doing it. Both sides are taking money. So, in my opinion, they're they're both one and the same. I mean, there is no difference, right? There is no difference yeah, it, between between the Democrats and the Republicans. It's just two heads of the same snake. Yeah, as as uh, Nina Turner said, it's uh, two cheeks of the same ass, <laughs> which is my favorite line ever. Yeah, it's that's a good one, but. I mean, there are differences, but it's branding stuff. It's not economic differences. It's it's not really, you know, it. The Democrats, you know, are the social issues. Obviously, they're better on. You know, it's their brand. They must be good on these social issues. But as far as extracting wealth from the middle class and and creating a, a bigger income inequality, 
No, they're not any better. I mean, you just have to look to California. California has, if you factor in rental costs and, and housing costs, of all the 50 states, we have the biggest income inequality. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the richest state, you know, the, you, the California on its own is like the fourth or fifth largest economy in the world. And here we are. And, and why that matters is, well, California has a Democratic supermajority. We've, we've had one for damn near 15 years or something like that, which means we have a, a veto-proof supermajority. The, the governor is the one who can override things, and it's been a Democrat forever. We've had both state legislatures, is ours, our, we've owned. So, you know, the, the solution isn't just, hey, let's just elect more Democrats and we'll get these things. We won't get these things. I mean, look at California. You know, California passed the state version of Medicare for all. Yeah. Um, and what do they do with that? Well, uh, the the head of the DNC at the time, uh, Eric Bowman, who coincidentally a year before, before he became the head of the DNC, was lobbying against lowering drug prices. He was a lobbyist who was paid by the pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical companies to argue against lowering the price of, of drugs, you know, and importing um, drugs. So he had his buddy, Anthony Rendon, table the bill, you know, and, and when I, I'm sorry, I should give a little background. So Medicare for all, the state version was SB 452, I believe, I forget the number, but we ran all these campaigns pressuring politicians in the state to guarantee that they would vote for Medicare for all. And we got their votes. We got the guarantees necessary to pass the bill. Um, But because of a process within the California uh, legislature, Anthony Rendon, who was buddies with Eric Bowman, the head of the Democratic Party in the state, was able to simply table the bill, which means he puts it into committee to investigate costs and expenses of these things. So it's never been up to a vote. I mean, it's just indefinitely tabled. So state Medicare for all is not going to happen as long as the Democratic Party has that in that uh, if that's their purview. They don't they don't need to bring it to a, a vote if if some one person is their fall guy. Yeah, uh, it's so frustrating. Um, I, I I don't I don't envy people who follow politics because it just I mean even even watching mainstream media uh, in in its in and of itself is traumatizing. And I mean, I don't mean to sound like a, you know, whatever, but I mean, it's, I turn it on and it's just the con, the same thing, just constantly being bombarded at you, bam, 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 no matter what you look at. And it's like, ah, God, turn it off, man. I don't want to hear no more. You know, I feel like we're in a, I, I, I said this quite a bit. I feel like we're in a, in a, uh, an abusive relationship with our government. <laughs> we con- are with, the, with the government, the media, the democratic party, all of it. I mean, I mean, the one thing I would say is that if things would be a lot worse if we weren't always pushing back because they'd get away with more, you know. So even if we don't get real big progressive wins, like we don't get Medicare for all, I mean, imagine what they would get away with if if there wasn't watchdog media, leftist media, independent media calling them out on it and people um, challenging their their narratives, you know. But but you mentioned, you know, mainstream media and how it's insufferable. Well, that's the real problem. But the optimism in that is that young people don't watch mainstream media as much. They don't watch television. Um, it's it's made a big difference. It, 
you know, the younger generation is, is very pro socialism. Um, they don't trust mainstream media. They don't even watch TV. So, I mean, when, an, when an issue like Medicare for all becomes popular with 70% of the population, 51% of Republicans even support it, maybe in 50, maybe a little higher than 50, but over, they have a majority of Republicans that support Medicare for all. Now, where did they get that message? They didn't get it from television. That's for damn sure. Because both all the networks do everything they can to present Medicare for all as a not viable alternative. Um, so independent media is having an impact and, you know, even people like to crap on Twitter, but Twitter is the one place where people push back directly to all, all the narratives on mainstream media. And, you know, Twitter may not be real life, but it's where the, the counterpoint to what you hear on TV is put out into the ether and it does trickle into real life debates. So it, it really does matter that, you know, you have your, your show on YouTube and, uh, Streamland or, and, you know, I'm on Twitter bitching with another, you know, 2 million other progressives <laughs> and it does make a difference. If we weren't there, they would just get away with, with murder. So at least the Democrats have to uh, pretend like they're representing us, which involves occasionally giving us progressive things enough to keep our vote. I have a question for you. Third party or party reform? Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm an inside outside guy, which means I'm fighting for both. I mean, if I had to prove one, you're not very likely to reform the party. You know, you're not going to. But on the other hand, you're not going to have a fair shake in any election until you pass some some reforms. Um, so, I mean, the number one thing I've decided I'm pushing now, and I just literally became a board member today, but uh National ranked choice voting is very important to me. So, you know, the third parties, you've got a movement for people's party, you got green party, you got, you know, DSA runs candidates or endorses candidates. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm sort of agnostic about which one of those you support. I'm, I'm, I'm for any lefty progressive party, but none of them really have a shot because they're, they're on a national level, mm -hmm. local elections, they're doing okay. And, you know, we're getting some, some movement there, but with national ranked choice voting, uh, people are, are it, it will give people permission to vote for a third party candidate candidate without feeling like, okay, if, if I, if my candidate doesn't win, I'm electing Trump or I'm electing whatever, whoever the Republican is, you know? So that, I think that's a big push coming that people need to look out for um, because pushing for the third parties on their own, I mean, the Green Party did worse this election cycle than they did in, in 2016. And arguably, there was a much bigger opportunity for them to, to, to gain uh, this cycle. So what? I, I just, as, I mean, I voted Green, for the record. You know, I did vote Green. But what did they get in the, in the vote? I mean, it's it was negligible. It's So why... Wouldn't it be logical? I mean, if you have all these different parties, you know, they all have something that's good, right? right. Uh, libertarians, um, which I happen to have Spike Cohen on uh, earlier in, in 2020 and to talk about the Libertarian Party. But, I mean, a lot of them have good points to them. 
right? There's there's good in, in, in every single one of them. And then you've also got the disenfranchised Democrats who, you know, just don't want to be a part of anything that's going on. Um, and, you know, they're looking for a home. Why can't they all get together and, and figure it out? You know, because the here, here's the thing. If it even happened, would they let it? I mean, if, if they, I mean, just think about it. Well, they go out of their way to make it harder to get ballot access, you know, for these, you know, that's one of the biggest problems is getting ballot access in a lot of these states. Um, but I, I support a solution that, you know, it may, it may be a pipe dream, but I'm with you on that. Like you, what I would like to see is all these similar third parties, you know, that you can't go to a hardcore, you know, alt-right third party. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah. you bring in people that consider themselves sort of allies and you, and you run a, uh, you run an election on your own. You run your own, you're on your own uh, primary, essentially, like, you know, the green candidate versus the DSA candidate versus the MPP candidate. And you all agree to support, put all your support for your national organizations into that one person. You know, I would love to see that. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, it's just the same thing you do, you know, because you know, when I was talking about the nonprofit, I had to go and look at different programs and, and things that are working in different areas. I went to Utah and, and, and went to a program there and was kind of, you know, checked that out for a few days. Uh, you know, I would love to go to Portugal and see how, how they're doing their, uh, version of, um, you know, making all, all the drugs Ill, are legal, legalized, legal, decriminalizing uh you know drug possession and all that and and you know see the successes they're having there i know that they're doing it up in uh oregon or portland um you know that that ought to be interesting as well but i mean it's collaboration i mean being a content creator collaboration is one of the hugest things that we have and that's one of our greatest gift gifts as as humans is our ability to collaborate and and help each other to move things further yeah and i would really like to see more of that i mean there's you know as progressives we we fight a lot on the left you know even the term progressive to some is like oh you don't want to be a progressive because the democratic party is they're up you know they call themselves progressives in the democratic party when they're not progressives so we have a lot of infighting on the left, which, you know, you've got DSA people fighting movement for a people party people, you know, MPP people fighting Green Party. But they need to come to the realization that none of them are going to get there with this this war between all the factions, like you're saying. You know, they do need to collaborate. Um, my wish was, okay, so you've got the Green Party who, you know, they're, they're great on – on the issues, I support the Green Party on paper, like almost 100%. If you run down their issue list, you know, they're like maybe 15 issues for for what it, it takes to be a progressive in my book. And they, they check the boxes. And so and they've been around forever, but they, they're not growing their support. They're, you know, they're doing better on some local elections and things. But for a national election, they have no shot. But so here comes along the MPP, which is Movement for a People's Party. And they have no structure whatsoever in place, but they have the piece that that the Green Party is missing, which is the flash, the branding, the marketing, you know, big names coming in and speaking. You got, you know, Dr. Cornell West, Dina Turner, um, you know, Jimmy Dore supported him. Not that not that he's going to form a political party, but, you know, you've got the flash behind them where Green literally looks like 
it looked exactly like Howie Hawkins when he, if you seen, if you saw any of his videos over the last year, he's running his campaign out of the basement with the file cabinet behind him. You know, he looked like he should have his red stapler next to him. <laughs> so you've got, if you fuse those two things, that was my hope. Is that like, okay, we, we somehow form a coalition, coalition with MVP. Um, but so for me, I'm, I'm focused on fighting for national ranked choice voting to make it all pop, more possible. Mm-hmm. When people see that you don't have to vote necessarily for, you know, people vote out of fear. Like the, the last two elections were both voting against the person you hated the most. It wasn't voting for someone you liked the most. Both candidates were the least two popular candidates in history, both election cycles. Mm-hmm. So uh, people weren't like, Yay, Trump the first time around. Now, the second time around was a little different. Trump people like Trump a lot. Um, but in general, they were very unpopular people. It wasn't, you know, if you had an alternative you could vote for without the fear of your vote costing us uh, electing a fascist, for example, with, with Trump, if you felt like Trump was a fascist, you know, that would obligate you to vote for Biden and, th- you know, to present, prevent that, but with ranked choice voting, you can vote for Green, and then your second vote goes to Biden. So if Greens don't win, well, you're voting for Biden still. You're not voting for Trump. So, John uh, Siner says, at least not in the time we have left before the planet starts on fire. Yeah, you might be right there, John. Yeah, it... Uh, <sighs> So, so frustrating, so frustrating, man. Uh, but you know, a lot of it too is that we pay attention to the national scene and that's a huge distraction, uh, versus, you know, what's going on in your own backyard. You know, a lot, a lot of what we're doing. I think the only time that I really ever felt anything that happened on the national stage was when Trump did the, uh, uh, he changed the, um, tax, the tax, uh, deal. Um, and like, I think, the year before I, I got two grand back, uh, didn't do anything different. And I ended up owing 10,000, you know, he did away with a lot of stuff. Yeah. He did away with a lot of the union, uh, write-offs like union dues, uh, you know, everything that, that the union, you know, it, it was all tied into that. Cause that was about 15,000 a year that I was, I lost in deductions there. So, and right. you know, that's a lot of that's a part of the same thing. So, I mean, I know, I'm kind of a conspiracy guy. <laughs> I pay attention to a lot of alternative media, but I mean, just as somebody that's sitting back and looking at everything and all the different things that they have, you know, like, okay, this has been taken away. This got taken away. They did this over here. They did that over there. Uh, they're trying to squeeze. I mean, it really, really, really feels like they're trying to squeeze the middle class down to the, down to the bottom to where it can just be a two class system. Yeah. I mean, Look, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist in the level of like, you know, COVID isn't real or, you know, the, you know, obviously it is. But you, you've got a system here where our, our government and the it's it's so beholden to donors that the donors are crying to the politicians to exploit this situation. And they're exploiting the hell out of it. I mean, you look at Amazon paid no federal taxes last year and. Of course, they're getting bloody, filthy, fucking rich right now over all of this. They sure are. And you know, the, the, if our media was was fair and not 
beholden to these people themselves, the discussion would be about taxing these fucking billionaires getting rich. It would be about a wealth tax to cover the poor people suffering right now. And there's no discussion on mainstream media about a wealth tax at all. Mm -mm. It's not allowed. And, you know, obviously we're all stuck at home. I mean, a lot of people are stuck at home and, and Amazon is, is getting record levels of money and their power within our government is off the charts. And so how do you remove that? You don't remove it. It's, it's next to impossible in our current system because these guys donate to both parties. They, they own so much of our government that we're, we're all fucked. We're stuck in this situation. So we need to get a way to get people that aren't Democrats elected. And the only way I see that happening is, is ranked choice voting at this point. Well, if you need some help on that, or if you ever need anybody to go out and, 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 uh, you know, stop on, stop on the ground and, and, you know, beat feet on the concrete, let me know, man. I'll be, I'll, I'll go out there and help you out. Um, yeah, yeah I, I was having this conversation this weekend on Saturday night, actually. Um, it was, we were trying to, uh, this, this, this whole situation kind of came about and, or the conversation. And I was like, well, then stop supporting these. These corporate interests and in. don't shop over here. If you don't, you know, if you don't like the fact that they make you wear masks when you go in and you're not going to be one that says, screw it, I'm not putting one on and I'm going to go in anyways. And, and, you know, if you did that, I guarantee you probably half of the store that was wearing them would pull theirs off too. Cause that's all it takes. But, you know, that, that may not be the right way to go about it. I mean, I'm not saying that that is or that isn't, but, you know, Amazon has made it almost virtually impossible to not use their services. You know, we go, I've, my, my buddies went to get an appliance at, uh, home, bed, bath and beyond. They weren't in stock. He went over to target to get, uh, the same thing wasn't in stock, you know? And he's like, you know, I had no choice. I had, I needed it. I had to go to Amazon. And I mean, I don't blame people, but they've, they've really captured our, our economy. Yeah, I mean, that's the trickiest part is that so places like, you know, it, Amazon, obviously, for online business, but it, in real world business, you got Walmart, you know, both those places like nobody should really shop at Walmart. But who do, who who shops at Walmart the, the most? I mean, people that don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so you it, it's immoral for me to say to these people that are poorer than other people, you should be the ones to not shop there. <laughs> Because they're surviving, they're buying diapers for their kids, they're, they're getting food to survive, you know, so it's difficult to ask people struggling to struggle more for some moral principle like that, um, which is the tough part, you know, like, I don't shop at Walmart, I'm pretty fucking poor, but I also don't have a kid to feed, <laughs> you know, if I have a kid to feed, I'm going to keep a little safety cushion in my bank account by shopping there and saving a hundred bucks a week or something, you know? And, but yeah, I mean, local action is important. And and one thing this, this COVID has shown is that, you know, mutual aid for local people is, is something we can do outside of the system. But the problem is it, it, we've got a a healthcare system where it's, it's all, it's go fund. We're go funding our fucking healthcare system. You know, it's unaffordable. (laughs) Yeah, it's a wreck. 
Yeah, that's a, that's funny. Yeah, everybody, everybody, open up a GoFundMe to help fund your own your own your own uh, medical. <laughs> right. I mean, if you have a sob story, you might get some money from people online to pay for your health care. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, uh, no. So, but back to Amazon. Um, I published my first book on Amazon, right? And I felt I felt bad about it. I don't, you know. But on the other hand, you got, you know. Every author in the world publishes on Amazon because they own the, the process. They own the book service, you know? So yeah. anyway, I, the second book, I said, ah, the hell with it. I'm not going to, I'm not using Amazon. So I found a site where people could leave reviews for your book, you know? So uh, Goodreads. Well, who owns Goodreads? Amazon. <laughs> so the site I'm using to show reviews for my book for people, because there's no other way to leave reviews somewhere, is owned by Amazon. Not, 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 not to mention the web service that Amazon is pretty much, I mean, between yeah. Google and Amazon, they pretty much own the internet, right? You can't, I mean, that's what the whole parlor thing was about is it, uh, you know, like, okay, well, I mean, we lost it on I, on iTunes. All right. Well, we still got Google, uh, Google. Nope. You don't got that. And then Amazon's like, well, you ain't got us either. So bye-bye. Yeah. But you know, Amazon, the service that you and I think of for Amazon is buying products online. That's just a fraction of them, what they own now of our government. I mean, they're all in medical, they're in everything. They're, it, it's, it's why like boycotting Amazon online would hurt their business. But if Amazon online went away, they would still get rich and rich and rich every single day without that business. That's how, that's how, how, how deep their tentacles are into our government right now. Uh, that's so, di- that, that, that's so, um, not, like I don't even I don't even have words for that man because it's like it, it, how do you how do you break that it, it's almost it's almost impossible to break yeah well you break it I mean you the only shot you got to break in it is breaking Amazon itself up you know we used to break up monopolies but mm. but now we don't <laughs> it's bottom line is we don't uh, you know so you 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 have to pass a lot of this is why I'm an inside outside guy because okay I want a third party candidate to take over. I want third parties to be viable and, and have more power, but I'm also pragmatic and realistic that shit, that's not happening anytime soon. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for it all I can. Um, but like, you know, okay. So we bring up the justice Democrats, you know, AKA the squad, whatever you want to call them. Look, they have the power between them all to vote as a block, which is they all vote together. Um, so they can hold up legislation. They can call out, you know, the need to repeal some of these things. They can put a light on some of the clearly corrupt policies going on in Washington. So, you know, we we have a shot at, at bringing more progressives in to having more people willing to burn the system down by exposing it. You know, the problem is you've got these people in there now that haven't shown a willingness to do that. You know, their, their system of, of progress is fighting internally for incremental power, getting on committees and and things like that. What they need to do is take a lesson from the Tea Party and say, bullshit, we're not passing this period unless you include the $15 minimum wage, for example. You know, they need, they need to do more things like that. And, and it's on us to push them to do that. That's why force the vote may have been a divisive issue. um, But, we're going to force every vote all year and for the next three years. I mean, that's, that's what they're up against. So to me, 
no matter where they stood on it and no matter where anyone personally like you and I stand on it, um, success of it or not this last time around, it, it did put them on notice that we are all going to be calling their asses out and fighting for every fucking little thing. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, it's good to hear. I've got two questions you can choose from uh, to answer one to take us out. But real quick, I want to let everybody know about the new series called The Real Untouchables, uh, The Pecora Files, a new series. Watch it live Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube at Real Progress in Action YouTube channel or on the Real Progressives Facebook group. Now, this was a series that was started by the uh, host of the Macro and Cheese podcast, Steve Grumbine, as well as the producers and some of the whistleblowers from the new true crime documentary series called The Con. And you can actually watch The Con, the first episode of it, for free at thecon.tv. Go there. You can watch the first episode. It's a five part series and it's really not a bad uh, price. It's like 10 bucks, I think, to rent the uh, series for 15 days. And it's really good, man. It's everything that the big short left out. I mean, big short was a good movie. I liked it, but they missed a whole lot. And the, the con kind of picks all of it up and puts it together, shows you everything of how it was sort of played out. So you, we can either take this out on MMT. And how do you feel about it or buyer's remorse with Biden? <laughs> Which one do you want? Uh, I'm going to go with buyer's remorse. Okay. Uh, just to not alienate the MMT folks, because I love MMT. Well, I guess I'm already talking about both. <laughs> <laughs> so my issue with MMT and I love MMT. I believe in MMT. It's just complicated to explain. And the, the, so now is a good space to get more in-depth and push MMT. I felt like for Bernie's campaign, trying to use MMT, a system people didn't understand to explain how we could afford programs, was a tactical mistake. Not on Steve's part or not on MMT people's part. Um, just we had enough legwork to do to sell them on another belief they didn't understand already. And so now that the election is over, now I think we, you know, push modern modern monetary theater. Now I think we, you know, we need to push it harder and people like Steve are doing great and he's been doing it the whole time. So that's awesome. Um, buyer's remorse. Look, I didn't buy to start. So I'm not, I'm not uh, believing anything Biden's going to do. I, you know, if you look at who he he's hired so far to be in charge of the economic recovery, it's all the people that extracted wealth under Obama that were criticized. Um, for his recovery act. So, you know, thinking great, he's going to come in and here and, and help poor people. You know, he, he went, he already took the $2,000 check that they promised people literally promised people would be out the door immediately in Georgia. Yeah. And, uh, out the door immediately turned into, uh, three months and, 2000 overnight became 1400. And this just shows you our media, how much they, they're in bed with the Democrats. They barely challenged that. It. it was, it was uh, that they will not tell you that Biden said it was $2,000, even though you got Warnock in Georgia, uh, you got Ossoff in Georgia. Both those guys literally are on video saying elect us and you got checks next week 
Warnock ran ads on it, printed $2,000 checks. So they all knew it was 2000. They all knew they were doing this bait and switch. So, and, and why, I mean, you're talking 600, $600 a person, which, you know, added all that up. It's, it's like fulfilling their promise is $300 billion or something, which is nothing in a $1.9 trillion bill. So why do they argue to do these things? It's, it's kind of irrelevant in the big picture mathematically. And if you believe in MMT, which you should, it's that our tax dollars don't go to federal spending. They don't finance federal government spending. So basically uh, there's no reason for them to short us on this stuff other than wanting to keep us in our economic places in life. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty accurate. Um, I, I know that, uh, I, it, it, when, when I learned that, when I would learn monetary, monetary, modern monetary theory, cause I was one of those people that was always out there going, ah, taxpayer funded, you're stealing our money and blah, 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 blah. And then when I act, and, and it actually wasn't Steve Grumbine that, that put me up on it. it was another gentleman, uh, within, uh, that's a big person or not a big person, but he's done some stuff and it's pretty outspoken, uh, with the real progressives, a guy by the name of Jeffrey Ginter. And I had him on my show and he explained it to me and I was like, Oh, so now I don't scream taxpayer funded anymore because now I know it doesn't, it never makes its way back around to fund anything. It, it, it goes somewhere else, but doesn't go there. Right. It's a, it, and, uh, Stephanie Kelton is a big, she's, she's the one who, uh, more or less originated the theory. And she's part of, um, I believe she's part of, well, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to overspeak, but I thought she got hired by Biden's campaign on some level. I could be wrong. No, she was hired by Bernie's campaign. Yeah. Yeah. She was hired by Bernie's campaign. So yeah, never mind that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've enjoyed this. Thank you for all of the information that you've uh, shared. We're up at five fifty-five. We went a little bit longer. That's all right, though. Um, so, any last words? Anything you want to say? Uh, all of your socials. I've been flashing them up, and they're also available in the show notes. Uh, you saw the description. If you want, if you got anything that I missed, or if you just want to, if you just want to say them anyways. Uh, no, well, so the if you're interested in supporting the book. Um, savageandpat.com the latest book where is it here and uh yeah i mean the book's a parody it's a simple way to the idea was to no one wants to go buy a political book i'm not going to go buy a book about politics but this is all satire and humor and exposes a lot of things wrong with the party in a way that uh, is kind of simple you can have a laugh drink a beer so savageandpat.com for the book yeah, yeah, I like that. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. That's what I, that's what I thought yeah. every time when I say it, when 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 I read that 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 head that voice goes off in my head. Yeah, the best was Nina Turner gave us one. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. No problem. Thanks again for stopping by. Hang out for just a second. I'm going to close us out. I'm going to put you down back in the green room, and I'll, uh, I got some, uh, a couple of things for you after that. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate it. All right, man. That was a great interview. So stay tuned. This is the first of four this week. Uh, I have one lined up at five o'clock tomorrow, 5 p.m. tomorrow. Carolina, Carolina Stevens, who is a life coach, and she's going to be talking about one of her bottoms that she went through in her life. Uh, we have David Weiss. 
coming up on Thursday at 6 p.m., the Flat Earth guy. You know, he's going to try and pitch Flat Earth to me. Uh, he's been making his way around all the podcast platforms, and uh, he made his way onto mine. So we're going to talk about that. And then also Daniel Lucas on the 12th, and he does the uh, Avenger Lego series on YouTube, who I voiced over, um, uh, what was that name? Adam Warlock, the character for that. So I decided to have him on because it's kind of interesting uh, after I watched it and how he put it all together. And so I'd like to talk to him about that. Uh, anything else? Uh, don't got much more. I will see you on Tuesday at 5 p.m. And thanks a lot for joining me. I hope you're enjoying the content. Uh, if you, if you're actually want to support what I'm doing, uh, monetarily, go and head on over down to Patreon. And I got a plenty of tiers over there that are affordable and with great benefits as well. Until next time, guys. See you later. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.